You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call, as tonight your Indiana Hoosiers demolish, visiting Jackson State 70-35 in a game that moves Indiana to 5-0 in the Mike Woodson era. It's a game that really was flat in the first half, Uh, you know, and offensively it was kind of a mixed bag for Indiana, but once again, from the opening tip, the defense set the tone, and on a possession-by-possession possession basis, Indiana was just very solid, forced another uh, you know, overmatched opponent into a poor shooting night, and you know, it makes a guy feel nostalgic, because this is what used to happen at Assembly Hall, is overmatched opponents would come in to Assembly Hall, and they would not shoot well. <laughs> For some reason, you know, there's been this trend of those teams coming in, getting hot, making games closer than they should be. We saw that some against Eastern Michigan earlier, but this and what we saw against Louisiana is more what it's supposed to look like. And you can credit really 40 pretty solid. I mean, take out maybe the last few minutes there of defense, but you know, really good defense from Indiana um, from the opening tip uh, and it helped lead to the victory. I'm your host, Jared Morris. I am here with the doctor, Galen Clavio and Tony Adrania, and we are going to break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU postgame show. And let's start the show the way we start every show. And that is with our banner moment. So I talked about the defense, but for the banner moment, I'm really going for an offensive play. You know, Indiana, despite some offensive ups and downs, you know, were really, uh, you know, dominating the game early. They were up 26 to nine, but then Jackson State switched to a zone and that really caused Indiana some problems. Jackson State went on a 6-0 run, Indiana's offense ground to a halt. I immediately started worrying about what this is going to look like against Syracuse. All kinds of bad things were happening. Indiana wasn't getting the ball inside. It just wasn't working. So Mike Woodson calls a timeout. It's 26 to 15 at this point, and it kind of feels like, all right, you know, are we going to push this lead back out or is Jackson State going to make this a game here? And Indiana came out of the timeout, ran a great play, which we'll actually show you here uh, a little bit later. Uh, They overloaded on one side, got Parker Stewart, a wide open three from the top of the key. He drained it, was our first good shot against the zone. On the next possession, we forced a shot clock violation. The score now is 29 to 15. That little sequence basically erased any chance of Jackson State making a run, and Indiana would eventually go on a 23-4 run in the seven minutes after that timeout because they opened on a 15-2 run in the second half and put the game on ice. And it was great to see the team respond so immediately to Mike Woodson and to see the coach notice what was going on in the moment, make an adjustment, and Indiana come right out, get a shot, get a bucket, and start to play better. A great early sign of the team being connected to their coach and a coach who can see what's going on, make adjustments to it, and get Indiana into the kind of actions that they need. Okay, well, our banner moment tonight, as always, brought to you by our friends at Home Field Apparel, now in their fifth season of sponsoring the Assembly Call and their first as the presenting sponsor for the Back Home Network. And in case you missed it, Home Field Apparel did a brand refresh of their IU collection a couple of weeks ago. So they added three new items, which brings their extensive IU collection to more than 40 items overall. And as you may know, they have a vintage apparel line for more than 120 colleges and universities across the country. There really is something for almost everyone at Home Field. And coming up next week, they have an incredible site-wide sale starting on November 26th, that's Black Friday, and running through November 29th, Cyber Monday, where all of their comfortable, high-quality shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies are going to be 20% off. You don't need a code, so forget about the home code for, for those few days. 
you get 20% off just by going and shopping. And remember that items are subject to sell out. Our friends at Homefield recommend ordering as early as possible so that their warehouse and their shipping carriers have plenty of time to get shirts to you for the holiday season and so that they have the ones that you want. So go to homefieldapparel.com today. Start planning ahead for the Black Friday sale because it's going to be here soon. And then on Black Friday, load up your cart, get 20% off your entire order. Again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, well, it is time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. And Galen, we will start with you. Clavio's corner. Your opening <laughs> <Wow>. thoughts. Some, <laughs> you, some you have a corner. <laughs> Thank you, marketing department. I've been waiting for you guys to come. We're through. a wow. network now, Galen. We're, we're a network. So We are know. indeed. We are a network, and it's it's darn time that, that we got our own corner to sit on. But no, I'll say this. I think that overall, what stuck out to me was how bloodless and effective this game was, especially on defense. I think so much of our attention as IU fans in, is just still focused on Indiana's offense and looking for things that are going wrong with Indiana's offense and being concerned about that. And the defense has been pretty good the last couple of years, but the defense was smothering, suffocating. It And look, Jackson State, not a good team, but you can be a bad team and still score points Jackson State was a bad team that just didn't score points until the very end of this game because of how well Indiana was playing defense. And it's interesting because it's not what I would call like the Luke Wrecker style of defense where, you know, it's like steals or or taking charges or anything like that where it's like flashy. It's just largely just this suffocating, trauma-inducing, you know, running out of options kind of defense where the opposition just isn't able to do anything. It's like a vice grip that slowly encompasses the other team's offense. And who knows if it's actually sustainable against more talented teams, but I was really impressed with what Indiana did again tonight against the team that was full of live basketball players. They made it look like they just were not able to shoot uh, or, or do anything towards scoring on that end. So that's the big thing that stuck out for me. Let's see. We can't call it Coach's Corner because we all we already have that. Tony time? What do you think? What do you think, uh, Tony? <laughs> we'll throw that back to the marketing department. So they can come yeah, chat mob. Wait, just Tony, Tony, Tony. Like, what, yeah. what's wrong with that? <laughs> We're just IU Film Room. Let's brand it like your own thing. Here we go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts are just, you know, there, there's so much bad that can come out of these games. Like, there, it's almost feels like a no win situation based on where we've been historically. Like you mentioned, you know, there's those, uh, those times when inferior teams come into assembly hall and it just feels like they, somebody catches fire and all of a sudden you're in a battle with a team that you shouldn't be in a battle with. And it just, um, you know, kind of gives you some anxiety. And, and I think we kind of felt that, you know, the lead got down to 11, Indiana was struggling with that zone. And then you mentioned that, that zone set that, uh, Mike Woodson uh, ran, and then IU just kind of ran away with the game. As Galen mentioned, suffocating on the defensive end, efficient on the offensive end. And really, like I said, it, it almost feels like a no-win situation for Indiana in this game, but you, I come away feeling pretty good. You know, like, hey, you won by 35, you doubled them up, um, held them to a really poor field goal percentage yet again. Like, there's actually a lot of good that comes out of this, and, and it, it makes you feel good, and I think it, it's kind of – chips away at some of that anxiety that all of us fans have felt over the last decade, really, you know, in, in games like this, where it's just like, 
man, like, you know, what's going to go wrong? How is this going to not go in Indiana's favor? Who's going to screw up or what's going to happen? And it's just like, that never really happens. Like you get, it get bleed gets down to 11 in the first half. And like, that was the worst thing that happened in this game. Like that feels pretty dang good. They scored 0.556 points per possession. <laughs> that's, that's really and I think good. they were at like 0.4 something until the last like three minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. But to me, guys, the story of the game was Xavier Johnson. Um, the number one thing that I really wanted to see coming into this game was how would Xavier respond to really a poor outing against Louisiana? Like for everything that went right for Indiana in that game, X just was kind of off from the opening tip. He was turning the ball over. He got that technical foul. He just wasn't doing some of the things that we've seen him do when he's playing well. And I think those who really dug into kind of his history at Pittsburgh knew coming in that the Xavier Johnson experience was going to be a roller coaster. And we've already seen it be a little bit of a roller coaster. How does he bounce back tonight? I thought he was the best player on the floor tonight. Um, I thought early on, um, you know, when Indiana was struggling offensively, the one thing that they had was when X got a step on somebody, he was taking it in scoring. And that simple thing, being able to actually score when you get in the paint as a guard, is something we just haven't had. You know, like we just haven't had guys who can actually finish at the rim when they get an advantage like that. And so seeing him do that, I also thought his rebounding was outstanding. Uh, for, you know, on a team that doesn't rebound kind of outside of its area very well and doesn't attack rebounds, he was one guy who was really going after rebounds. Um, and I thought just, you know, playing 25 minutes in a game where it would be easy to get sloppy, he only had one turnover to three assists. This was the kind of Xavier Johnson that you're going to win tough Big Ten basketball games against. Now, again, the competition's not great, all that stuff. Um, but I just thought for him, he's talented enough, Tony, to play well against any competition. Like he's a really good player when he's playing well. So for him, it seems like a lot of it's going to be about mentality. And the mentality he had tonight is going to win Big Ten games. The mentality he brought against Louisiana is probably going to get Indiana beat because he's just that important to what they do offensively. So that was the thing really that stood out to me tonight. 100%. And I think I think as he's matured as a basketball player and just as a young man that – he, he has a recognition that that is his biggest weakness. Like he, he has said that in media availability, like I get my head out of the game. And I mean, he's talked about, I don't want to talk to the officials this season. And yeah. And then Lafayette was the first time we've really seen that kind of take a stranglehold over him and just kind of, he couldn't get out of it, couldn't snap out of it. But the beauty of it is, is I think he's got enough self-recognition now that he's older, you know, he's an upperclassman. He's looked upon as a leader uh, on this team that, having a bounce back game is huge for him. It's not a, a rut that he's found himself in where he's just mad at the world or something. And he's just, he's not going to perform at a high level. He had a bad game, got out of it mentally. I'm sure it was talked about with the staff and he came back and he bounced back. And I saw him actually, uh, I think on the jump shot, he got fouled on uh, the team. The defense was in a zone. He huddled all the guys together. It's about a seven second huddle where he pointed like next play down. You're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. And just was a leader on the floor. So uh, his mentality is going to be huge. You meant you mentioned it. Like if he's locked in, he's the best guard Indiana's had since Yogi Ferrell. If he's not, he can lose you games. Um, and so he's going to be vital. I mean, he, he the team's going to kind of go as he goes. He, he's going to have to be that steadying force. And like you mentioned, a guy, uh, point guard in the Big Ten that can get you seven rebounds. Um, that's that's pretty pretty huge. So uh, loved what I saw from X tonight. Galen, what are your thoughts overall on the Xavier experience so far? Oh, so far, so good. We're early on in a season where 
a bunch of guys are trying to get used to playing with one another. Tony and I talked about this with Scott on Crimson Cast earlier today, where there's there's people need to remember that these guys have not played competitive basketball together. Uh, you know, and Xavier Johnson comes in from a program where he did a lot. And yet they didn't have a tremendous amount of success. So there's also that additional layer that goes on top of it. But I think certainly this game was better than the game that he played against Louisiana. That was, uh, you know, that was the the Xavier Johnson you don't want to see, really. And when you think about what he's done overall on the season, so much of his value for this IU team is probably going to come in games where he's generating assists He's probably not going to be your top scoring option, but he is going to be the type of guy who can see where people are on the floor and get them the ball so that they can score. And it's ironic because like, you know, even the St. John's game wasn't a great showing for him either. Only one assist in that game. And, you know, while he knocked down a couple of shots overall, he wasn't as effective as I think he will be when he's doing his top work over the course of this upcoming season. Uh, You know, look, I don't know if a player can actually change their mentality on the floor. We've seen it happen a few times, but it's very difficult to do because especially you consider that Johnson is in his fourth season now of college basketball and he's played you know a, a pretty significant amount of minutes in those you know the first three seasons. there's a there's a lot of of, imp- of of patterning that's already taken place with his behavior and the way that he conducts himself. I'm not saying that he, you know, that it's impossible that he can change what he's doing. But I do think that expecting him to be a completely different player in terms of talking to the refs or getting into scuffles and things like that is probably a bit too much to ask. But if you can get I don't even know of- that we'd want him to. I mean, I think well, having that little well, fire but, and that edge isn't bad. You well, know? but, you know, hey, I, you know, I guess in, in a lot of it, I, I go back to the best teams and the best leaders at guard that Indiana's had. And historically you're not you know you're not seeing on those teams got you know point guards who are mixing it up a lot verbally or physically with teams with with other players uh, on other teams or or with officials or whatnot i mean we'll see other players do that but generally speaking your floor leader you want to have a little more of a calming presence there so it's just a little bit of a different kind of chemistry that we're not used to uh with indiana basketball historically so i am interested to see how that plays out but but no, I agree, and, and I mentioned this to Tony earlier on. He does see things on the floor that others don't see, and that is a huge asset potentially to Indiana where he can get in trouble is sometimes he sees things that other people see because they aren't actually there, and, and that's going to be the big question mark as we go through this season. Yeah, it's you know he, he's going to be such an interesting player to watch. I think – you know, it's one of those things like we we just haven't had a guy like him with that dynamism with the ball in his hands. So I'm I'm willing to just take him as he comes, the good, the bad, because he'll be better than what we've had to whatever extent he can rein it in in a productive manner without losing the fire. It's just going to make Indiana better. But his presence alone, I think, is going to make us better on balance in Big Ten play. And especially if he plays more like this tonight. The other thing that I'd like to talk about off the top of the show, you know, Galen, this was another understated performance from Trace Jackson Davis offensively. I really thought he'd come out and dominate. He really didn't. It was actually, you know, he only had 11 points. That's the second game in a row. He's only had 11, quote unquote. Um, And the third game in five now where he hasn't reached double digits and shot attempts. I think he only had seven attempts tonight. He's had eight in a couple of other games, you know, so, you know, was efficient and I think did fine. Obviously did enough to win. 
where I thought he excelled again was as a rim protector. And what he and Race Thompson have done through five games protecting the rim has been unbelievable. You know, and as you look at early season trends, early season numbers, and, you know, you don't want to put too much into these numbers because it's early, small sample size, and the competition. But Indiana is number one in the country in effective field goal percentage defense coming into the game, 34.9%. That's only going to get better. Number one in the country in two-point field goal percentage defense, 31.9%. And they've played, you know, one legitimate team, uh, you know, out of their out of their five. So again, take those numbers with a grain of salt. But the eye test shows that those guys are just, they're more aggressive. They're in position more. And I think, you know, Trace and Race are just, you know, they're just timing things better. And I also think the the ball pressure is better. And it's making, you know, when guys get in, they're not just having a clear lane. So they're distracted having to try to dribble in. And now they're facing Trace and Race, who were there in position, ready to erase their shots. And Trace had, I think, four more block shots today. So, you know, for whatever dominance he didn't have offensively, he was very dominant defensively. And I think his defensive development has been one of the most encouraging things early in the season because that will translate to Big Ten play. Well, and it'll translate to the NBA. And and I, uh, what I yeah. see here is Mike Woodson having uh, some of his best coaching in the offseason going to Trace Jackson Davis and saying, you know, Trace, you're, you, do, you still don't have a three-point shot. You may not have one by the time you leave here. Much they to can Scott's keep- chagrin. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Poor Scott. He'll, I can already hear him criticizing Trace Jackson about his lack of three-point shooting in the next podcast. Um, but the um, I do think that you know Woody was able to talk to Trace and say, you know, what does translate well to the NBA level, what they won't be able to teach you and what they will be hoping and expecting you to know how to do is be a rim protector, be aggressive on defense in a way that doesn't pick up a lot of fouls and create an environment where people look at you, look at the effort you're giving, and say, you know what, we can fix elements of this guy's offensive game. What we can't do is fix effort or teach effort on the defensive end, and that will move your draft stock up. Uh, you know, And look, I think Trace deserves a lot of credit as well because his he's not pressing on offense. You know, He was double-team, triple-team. Jackson State was not going to let Trace Jackson Davis beat them tonight, and he took what was there. You know, he got his double di- digits in points. He, he wasn't even that big on the boards, you know, largely because Jackson State couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. But it, it really does show an even bigger level of maturity out of Trace Jackson Davis that he comes into this game. And, and we've seen this on more than one occasion already this year. And he's like, I don't have to be the leading scorer and put up 25 shots in order for Indiana to win. And that's I think both attribute to him and attribute to the new system that's being installed. Tony, what are you seeing scheme wise or, or, you know, or otherwise that is leading to, I mean, just this dominant rim protection. Yeah. I mean, and that's a huge part of it is that schematically in points of emphasis are on this rim protection. So the whole idea of pack line defense is to, you clog the paint up, and you try to force long twos, tough shots, you box your man out once the shot goes up, and you secure the rebound, and and you're off. With this defense, it's heavy ball pressure. You're going to get beat from time to time because you're pressuring the crap out of the ball. It's what happens. And you're funneling everything to your big man who has free reign to completely leave his man. It is no longer his responsibility. It's it's the backside on the help side's responsibility. And he's he's – free reign to go block shots. I think 
uh, Trace told uh, told us in a media availability that Mike Woodson has called that the the launching pad position, or I think is what he called it or referred to it as. But I mean, him and Race literally have free reign to leave their man and go try to block shots, and that is a a point of emphasis and it is a schematic change from what we saw in the Archie Miller era. And quite frankly, to this point, it has paid absolute dividends. My only concern there, you know, is they're going to have to stay disciplined against better competition. Cause especially when you start falling in love with your block numbers, you can hunt blocks oh, and yeah. you don't want to do that because a smarter coach and better competition can take advantage of that over aggressiveness, not only to get you out of position for easy buckets, uh, but also to get you in foul trouble. And Jackson State can't do that. Louisiana can't do that. You know, other teams will be able to do that. And so I think that's something to watch out for. But certainly what we've seen early on from those guys has just been awesome from a rim protection perspective. Um, What else stood out? Galen, Any what other major storylines stood out to you from this game? Uh, Parker Stewart can still shoot the three, yes. uh, three for five tonight. And again, the quietest three for five, three performance, maybe in the last decade in assembly <laughs> hall. Uh, you know, I feel like we would have had a parade down Kirkwood if anybody had gone three for five in a game last year. <laughs> uh, and maybe it actually did happen, but look, I mean, that, I think Parker Stewart definitely, you know, he came in, I don't know what his total minutes were, but you know, he hit shots when he was open. He didn't force things. And, then other people took different shots. Uh, you know, I will say there's a it's it's amazing the difference right now. And I don't know if it's going to be the case all season between the way what Parker Stewart's bringing to the floor and what Miller Cops bringing to the floor. Like Stewart just looks like he naturally fits within the flow of this offense. Like he knows the spots to get to. He's able to play some pretty good defense. Cop is kind of forcing things a bit, a- and I I can't tell if if it's a frustration with Shots not going in the way they did last year. And I mean, he was the second leading scorer tonight. So it wasn't like he was a no show, but he was what three for 11 from the field and really straight. I mean, you know, yeah, he was the leading thir- second leading scorer, but three of those points were essentially, you know, just a gift that was wrapped and placed under the tree by Jackson state right before halftime. So look, I think cop he's obviously got a lot of big 10 experience. I expect him to round into form, but I'm, I'm really, really thrilled with how, organically Parker Stewart has entered into the offensive flow thus far. Yeah. I would like to see Parker get more shots, but you're right. He's not forcing it. And he's like one of those few guys that we've had in the last half decade where when he shoots it, you think it's going in every time he shoots it. I think that's in. And then, you know, eventually he'll miss a uh, Tony, you know, to Galen's point, Miller cop had kind of a Devonte green type night tonight with, you know, with kind of that line. And then that transition three that he took, that was just like, all right, Miller, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I like, I like the excitement, you know, the thing. And, and look, I mean, five rebounds, he played hard and I think he's, you know, proven that he can be a shot maker. Here's the thing that frustrates me about him. He has really good shot mechanics, like from his feet to his release, his body just drifts when he shoots it. And you can like almost see the ball, like follow his body when he squares up, which a lot of times he does in the corner, he's money. But, you know, you can almost you almost know if his shots going in or not just based on the drift that his body has or not. And I contrast that with Anthony Leal who, you know, you saw that one uh, uh, time, you know, Leal got it in transition. He's so good at gathering his body and stopping his momentum so that when he goes up for the shot, everything is straight up and in line, and he drained it. And I feel like if Miller Cop could just do that, he would be a more consistent shooter because that's been his thing throughout his career. He's He can get really hot, but he's also been, you know, inconsistent. Talked about how last year, I mean, he had stretches where he just couldn't make anything. 
And I wonder if that's part of it. Yep. I mean, that like they, they teach you, you know, it's like you're shooting in a phone booth. Like you don't want to drift. You don't want to go either way. Like you want to be able to go straight up and down in that phone booth. And um, yeah, Miller, Miller, not his most efficient night. Like you said, played hard. Like I'm not, I'm not knocking him for like being selfish or anything like that. Just an inefficient night. And and I think it is a little bit of frustration. It's a little bit of figuring out his role in this system and, and kind of, I mean, look, Mike Whitson is telling him, we brought you in to shoot the ball. I mean, he, he's told us that, so I know he's telling Miller that. So he's kind of got free reign, so I can't fault the kid. I wish I had that when I played of just like, <laughs> hey, if you touch that thing, let it fly. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm all in on that. But to touch on Parker Stewart just for a second too, I think a lot of what people forget is he's a coach's son. He's got a really high basketball IQ. Like he's not going to take bad shots. Um, he, he, he's grown up around the game for his entire life. Um, his dad was a division one coach, you know, obviously his dad, very, very smart individual when it comes to the game is, has translated that to his son. So Parker Stewart is a high basketball IQ guy. So you're not going to see a lot of bad shots, not a lot of bad decisions. I think in Ken Palm, he's got one of the lowest turnover percentages in the country. Um, especially for a guy that that's starting. So I think that gets lost a little bit on Parker Stewart is, you know, he's not just a shooter. He's, he's a kid that is a really smart basketball player um, that is going to make the right decisions. Um, I'll say that and he'll go out and have like five turnovers next game. Cause that's how these things work. But um, I really like Parker Stewart's game. Just, it comes really easy to him. Natural doesn't force it. Doesn't force the issue. And it's kind of like the anti Devonte green, like, he gets hot, but like he can also go unnoticed for a couple minutes, and it's not like bugging the crap out of him that he just got to let another one fly, uh, like we used to see in some of those Devonte Green games. So, uh, I mean, more so than anything, I, I I love the fact that we we've got shooters that can space the floor. It's going to pay so much, so many dividends for Trace as as the season goes on when he has space to operate because teams have to respect the shooters around the perimeter um, and. and you know, to to touch on one other guy, as I just steal the show here, is uh Tamar <laughs> is Tamar Bates. Like he just when the ball's in his hands, I just feel so comfortable. Like everything is smooth. He's not gonna make mistakes. And this is his fourth or fifth college basketball game coming off of an injury. So he really didn't even have a lot of like lead time into this season. Like just came off an injury and has started playing games um and hasn't had as much practice time as some of these other guys. So I mean, when, when Tamar has the ball in his hands, I just feel really comfortable. I feel like a good play is going to be made. And for a freshman that's five games into the season, like he's only going to get better. And that's kind of like scary in a good way. Yeah. And also, you know, he didn't force it. He played 23 minutes. He had no points in the first half, but he didn't, he doesn't force it. He doesn't get rushed. Last point I'll make here before we go to segment two on, on Parker Stewart you know, he early on his defense has been better than I thought. He's actually he reminds me a lot this year of senior year Nick Zeisloff so far, where he finds open spots, he makes shots, and plays good enough defense. You know, keeping people in front of him even if he's not quite as laterally quick. To me, like if I was on the coaching staff, number one, Indiana would be in a lot of trouble. But number two, the thing I would probably be thinking about more than anything else over you know before you get into Big Ten play is how do we get Parker more shots. Because when a guy can shoot that well and is that efficient, what can we do in the offense to get him more? Because I think the more shots he gets in good spots, the better off Indiana's going to be because he's really proving. And he showed this his freshman year at Pittsburgh. As a catch-and-shoot guy, he's ridiculously efficient. You know, his efficiency went down at Tennessee Martin when he was doing more off the dribble. But catch-and-shoot-wise, he's lights out. 
All right, uh, coming up as we continue our breakdown of Indiana's 35-point victory over Jackson State, we'll point out tonight's meaningful moments you might have missed with video, and then we'll go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You're listening to The Assembly Call. Stick with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is Ethan Happ, and I never listen to the assembly call especially the episodes that Ryan is on. Well, Ethan, glad you're listening tonight. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Gayon Clavio and Tony Adranya, and we are breaking down Indiana's victory over Jackson State. And guys, it is time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed with a fun little bonus. We're going to explore the studio space here a little bit uh, with StreamYard and actually play some video. So we're going to start, and Tony, I'll let you kind of talk through this. Um, I don't, can you control, well, I'll show you. If you can control the video with your mouse when it's up there, let me know. If not, you just tell me to start and stop it. Um, but we're going to watch here. So this is the play. Uh, this is the, the play that we talked about in the banner moment where they overloaded and got Parker Stewart the wide open three. Uh, so Tony, do you want to talk us through this real quick? This is after four or five straight possessions are just awful zone offense. Yeah, and I think I think the biggest thing was what he called a timeout. So uh, first and foremost, if you stop it right there, so right now you see Miller Cobb's got the ball in that wing. If This is a basic 2-3 alignment essentially for Jackson State's defense. So bottom guy of the zone goes out and guards Miller. No-brainer. Middle guy of the zone is guarding Trace Jackson Davis on the bottom. And then you've got the, the wing that's guarding Xavier Johnson. And then the opposite wing is taking away that guy in the middle. So this overload here, as you can see, they're matched up all four of those guys that have overloaded, but essentially that bottom guy on the opposite side of the zone, he's kind of in no man's land. And, and that's where Indiana kind of finds the gap here because Parker Stewart also is overloaded on that side. So basically cut the floor in half. This guy on the bottom weak side is what we'll call it really doesn't know who he should be guarding in this moment. Uh, because if he goes out to Parker Stewart that high, and then Miller Cop runs baseline or something, then Miller Cop's going to be open on the bottom because that's supposed to be that guy's responsibility. So basically, Indiana just kind of played some mind games here with this overload. And then if you want to go ahead and play it, just a nice job of getting into the middle of the zone and then finding Parker. And you can see Miller was actually going to run that baseline um, over to the other side. So they would have actually gotten a good look if that guy decided he wanted to go and guard Parker Stewart uh, from here. Uh, just because Miller was going to go baseline and then Parker was going to be able to swing to him. So um, just a really good action. It's simple. It's it's something that because they were kind of in that matchup style zone that Mike Woodson um, 
probably hadn't practiced against this type of zone very much. Like, you know, it's if you don't think you're going to see it, you only have a limited amount of time that you're not going to have this great like matchup zone offense installed in, in early November. So he called timeout, drew something up that they probably haven't practiced before, probably said you're going to get open if this guy goes here and you're going to be open if this guy goes there and they executed it. And so that's what's just exciting to me is that um, a the recognition of, hey, we don't know what the heck we're doing right now. So I'm going to go ahead and, and nip this and then I'm going to draw something up because I have a million things in my mind because I'm essentially a basketball genius when it comes to bas- college basketball X's and O's. I mean, he's an NBA, former NBA coach. They know three million sets. Um, and so, you know, he just he gets the guys in the right places and um, they get a great look out of it. And it turned the tide for the rest of the game. Uh, went from 11 point lead and it ballooned from there. So just was really awesome to see. Uh, it's, it's something that I think Indiana fans are always clamoring for like, where's the timeout, you know, like, okay, we could call a timeout in the Archie Miller era, but like we come out of it and we do the exact same thing. So it's like, you know, sometimes those timeouts can, can backfire. But in this instance, it was a perfect teaching moment in Indiana. Really. They couldn't have come out and executed better. Yeah, Galen, it was great to see because Mike Woodson was fed up with what he was seeing and he did something about it. And it really turned the tide of the game. Believe it or not, that's allowed to happen. You can, you can, you're allowed to have a coach who these things on the court that they're not pleased with, calls timeout, makes changes, and the changes actually get executed. I know this is a radical concept, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, look, the, I think I, we, we just, we really need a support group as a fan base right now. Like we need, we need That's to what just, this is. Well, well, right, exactly. But, but we need to sit in, in, in groups and circles, maybe cross-legged on the floor, maybe, you know, have some Capri sun and just talk our feelings out during these games because we are so battered. We're so like, we've just, and I get it. I've been in there myself. It, it, there's just, there's so many bad memories and things that have been seen over the course of the past, uh, especially the past four or five years. But I think even going back before that, where the things that IU fans collectively got used to in the eighties and nineties just kind of gradually faded. And, and it's just been really hard for IU to react to when teams do things that they're not expecting uh, players struggle with that. And so I am excited Early on here, we've seen this on a few occasions now so far this season. Not just that Mike Woodson has the wherewithal to call the timeout, draw something up that they haven't done, but that the players are able to go out and execute it. And, you know, I think there's an ease to which the players are going out and getting on the floor that really, to me, has been the dominant storyline of the season so far. Yes, the systems have changed, but the attitudes and the the, the relaxation levels of the team uh, being able to go out, face something they haven't seen, adapt after a couple of possessions, and then just roll like it's no big deal. That's that is that is a big deal. No, I uh, just saw this quote come out. Dustin Dupirek has it uh, from Mike Woodson's postgame press conference on the zone. He said, "I made the adjustment and went to overload. I don't see a lot of zones in the NBA. This is new for me." So, <laughs> well, well done, Coach. Well done. Uh, that's that's great. I love it. And look, I mean, I think th- there is there is that. If he hasn't seen that many zones, he certainly knows enough about them that um, he could. And granted, it's Jackson State. You can probably throw something out there relatively simple against them. But I, I am interested to see what it does against Syracuse. Having said that, because uh, that is going to be an interesting phenomenon for him to go up against. Uh, Tony, we have one more clip here. You want to talk us through this one too? Sure. And this is uh, another Parker Stewart three pointer from the second half. Right there. 
We will mute Stephen Bardo. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll we'll go ahead and let it run through just this one time. But so now I'll, I'll give you the start and stop. So once Trace catches in the post here, let's we'll stop it when you see the second defender coming over. So you're going to see Parker Stewart's guy is going to start coming over here. So we'll yes, stop yeah. right there. You're going to see Miller Cop is going to cut through. And so basically number basically the the closest guy to us on the screen. I'm not sure what number he is of Jackson State, but he's he's what's called guarding two. Um so he he basically has next pass out is his responsibility. It doesn't matter who it goes to on the weak side. He's he's called what's playing two. So this this Little cut here, you're going to see Miller Cop go and cut. And that's just going to draw that defender in just a hair right there. And then the wherewithal from Race Thompson to now screen the guy that was guarding him because he recognizes he's playing too. And just a nice skip pass from Trace to beat the double team. Race sets a screen on his own man, gives all the space in the world to Parker Stewart. And Parker Stewart knocks down uh, what in the college game would be fine as a wide open jumper. Like it's just beautiful offense. It wasn't a set. Wasn't anything that that Mike Woodson told them to run. It was just guys recognizing how to play offensive basketball, spacing, cutting, all of the stuff that Indiana fans grew accustomed to under the Bob Knight offense, uh, motion offense was essentially seen in this clip. You'll forgive me if I just want to let this run on loop. Just to watch <laughs> good offense lead to wide open three pointers. I shed a tear. Down. It's <laughs> It's truly a beautiful thing. Surely nobody at BTN would file like a copyright claim on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Well, <laughs> um, but no, you know, nice to see that. And by the way, you know, that's the kind of analysis that you get from Tony's IU film room inside the community. You can go to assemblycall.com slash community uh, and check that out. Tony, the work that you're doing there on the film room. I mean, it is it's a, it's such a great way to watch the team with a more insightful eye and learn, you know, kind of stuff like that just to see, cause you see the wide open three, but how did that develop and seeing, you know, the screen by race Thompson, that's the kind of stuff that's easy to overlook. And that's the stuff that race Thompson does possession after possession, after possession. That's why he's such a good glue guy. Cause he does that stuff. Um, Galen, any other, Oh no, go ahead, Tony. Uh, I was just gonna say, they're not, they're not all filmed off my TV either. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> those those were those were in game uh, clips I was sending to Galen and Jared. Uh, I do get them uh, straight off of the the uh, broadcast, so it's it's a little bit of a cleaner cleaner version. But uh, yeah, I appreciate Jared letting me share that in assembly call. It's it's some of the most fulfilling like fun stuff I do in my day. Like I after IU plays, like I'm getting antsy during the workday to to go home and and a uh, you know see my wife and son, but then let them know like hey I'm gonna go go do some, some film room stuff. And it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, it brings a lot of value to me of just um, kind of being able to scratch that itch of, of coaching, but uh, do it from the comfort of my own home. And, and uh, you know, when I'm done with it, I can go see my kids and, or my kid and my wife and all that good stuff. So uh, super, super appreciative for ha being able to have that in the assembly call community, you know, amongst that film room, all the great conversations that come from those things too, are, are what's really valuable to me. Yeah. Galen, any other moments kind of jump out to you from this game before we talk numbers? Oh, geez. Um, I mean, not so much anything individual. Well, you know, part of it is everything kind of melds together with games yeah. like this. And you end up with these situations. I, I will say this isn't a, so much a moment as more of a melt, but it is interesting how willing uh, and, and interested Woodson's been in trying to get a full second unit established out there. Like yeah. the amount of run that Michael Durr has gotten, the amount of time that he's had Lander 
and Bates playing together. Um, you know, I mean that that's really interesting and I think positive to to us because it's a lot of it comes down to that that is something we just haven't seen, at least not in my recollection, out of a lot of past Indiana teams where you know it's like, well, this this group is going to put in some key moments and we need to make sure that they are ready, not just in a haphazard way, but they're ready as a group. And, you know, you get games like this where you have the, the benefit of, of being able to throw guys out and, and in the, the uh, Louisiana game as well, where I, I doubt that Woodson thought he was going to be able to play Durr and Lander this much this early. So this has really been almost a bonus these last couple of games, being able to let them go out and find themselves. And I think with both of them, it's it's going to have some positive benefits. It's probably or probably already had a little bit of positive benefits, uh, you know, f- you know, already this this season. Durr ends up with five rebounds and four assists. I had no idea that he had four assists. That that really came out of nowhere. And Lander, you know, while he did not have the same hot shooting game and hustle game that he had against uh, St. John's or against Louisiana, he he contributed. He he put some good stuff out there, and he continues to make himself look significantly better from an efficiency standpoint than he ever looked last year. Like the, the, you know, people have commented on his overall presence on the court being better, but his individual numbers look a lot better when you are looking at them from a tempo free perspective. He's, you know, last year he was six for 26 from two. That's a 23% shooting percentage. He's five for 10 from two this year. And, And he's just, he looks a lot more confident going to the basket and taking shots and doing the kinds of things that you would want him to do. And so that's the big thing for me at this point. Like the the individual plays matter less than the sequences and watching these guys be able to play in those sorts of sequences is exciting because that will matter down the stretch. Yeah, Tony, the only other thing, you know, well, we did get to see another wonderful full court connection from Christian Lander to Tamar Bates as they continue to be the best quarterback wide receiver duo in the school. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> we went um, there, but I did go there. Um, but you know, what I saw from Lander tonight, I thought, you know, offensively, he really stood out against St. John's in Louisiana, you know, just kind of running the team, his poise. I thought defensively tonight really showed some of his growth. Like you remember last year, he was just, I mean, he was a mess defensively. It's not that he wasn't playing hard. He just didn't know where to be. His, you know, his head was just like, you know, he was kind of looking everywhere, but never looking in the right place. And, and he could get driven on constantly. And what I feel like we've seen now through these first few games is he's just, he's more calm defensively. His feet are more calm. His head is more calm. He's in the right place. He's more confident about what he's doing and he's keeping his guy in front of him. Now, you know, again, Big Ten play, he's still not physically ready to go up against a lot of those guys, and he's going to have his moments, but he's really kind of steadied his defense to the point where, you know, I don't think it's going to be, okay, Lander's in, we're just going to drive on him and get 10 straight points like I think Iowa did last year or whatever it was, and you're just like, God, we just can't keep him out there. Like, I think he's at least going to be solid enough now that you can play him, and he can be a source of offensive punch off the bench and not take so much off the table defensively, and that's a really important development. 100%, and I think, too, with Lander, I honestly think he's he doesn't even trust how much better he's gotten on the defensive end yet. Like sometimes in these, these first four or five games, there's times where he's actually in position to make 
the right defensive move or move laterally, and he just sticks his hands out to stop the guy, and he gets dinged for an automatic foul because he put two hands on the guy. Like I think he's still learning like how much better he's gotten, how much stronger he's gotten physically to keep guys in front of him. And that's, that's just going to come with time and just kind of feeling your body out and stuff like that. But I wholeheartedly agree. I think the strides that we're already seeing from him on the defensive end are, are big. And I think it's just a confident, you know, he's got a lot of confidence um, and that's how he was in high school. I mean, when I coached against him in high school, he was uh, a one man wrecking crew against my Southport team uh, when we played rights one game. I mean, they, I think he had like 35 points was just a, a, a cocky little kid i mean i couldn't stand him when i was coaching against him because he was just so confident out there and and he backed it up and and then last year he lost that a little bit and now i think we're seeing him regain that confidence and that mojo and he kind of knows like hey i'm pretty dang good at this game um on both ends of the floor but having those physical tools of being able to to keep guys in front of him like that feeds you on both ends when you're like you're not so down because your man just scored on you five straight times. Like that eats at you on both ends of the floor, whether you want it to or not. And now that he doesn't have to deal with that, like that's a burden that's lifted that frees up other, other areas of opportunity for him. And so like, I think that's a big part of it too. All right. Uh, let's go inside the numbers guys. This segment sponsored by the power rank where our friend Ed uses data and analytics to make accurate football and college basketball predictions. Uh, as you may know, because I know many of you have gotten it before Ed writes a just an incredible March Madness guide every year. We will have a special offer for you on that once March rolls around. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but for now, if you want to get sports betting advice with a PhD edge, or really if you just like understanding sports at a more analytical level, you should subscribe to his free newsletter. You can do that at thepowerrank.com slash AC. That's thepowerrank.com slash AC. All right. I don't think this segment needs to go too long uh, because I don't know that there's a whole lot of numbers that we need to talk about other than, you know, kind of the headliner that we mentioned earlier, which is 0.556 points per possession that Indiana gave up. Uh, the Hoosiers, Ken Palm's already updated. They are currently seventh in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, uh, continue to be first in effective field goal percentage defense continue to be first in two-point percentage defense. Uh, and there was another quote from Coach Woodson that I think really underscored that uh, from Dustin Dupirak again. He said, our defense has been solid. I knew our defense would be ahead of our offense because I spent so much time putting it in and demanding things I wanted to have done on the floor. Now we have to get our offense up to speed. He's been telling us this every chance he's gotten, that the defense is ahead of the offense. It is. None of us should be surprised. you know. And so... I mean, if we're taking him at his word, then I think the offense will come around. So, Galen, your thoughts on that and any other numbers that jump out? Well, I would say that our defense is actually better than that because if you look at Bart Torvik's site, which has a little bit less of a last year yeah. uh, impact on the numbers, Indiana's defense is second yeah. in the country. And really, if you look at shooting percentage, Indiana has the best opponent effective field goal percentage in the country right now, 34.9%. Uh, teams are shooting 31.9% from two against Indiana. Uh, it, the only reason Indiana's defense isn't even better is that they're, they're they're still letting teams get offensive rebounds at a higher clip than I think they'd probably like. And they're letting, you know, they're, they're, they could force more turnovers. You know, they're, they're not really overwhelmingly for, they're really focusing more on making shots difficult for the opposition to take. That's really exciting because that's that feels sustainable. The way that they're playing defense right now, as I mentioned earlier, it's not reliant on turnovers. 
it's not reliant on like out rebounding your opposition. It's just relying on making the shots difficult uh, for them to take. And so I I'm interested to see what happens with that. And I think offensively, look, the, the, the curious thing about Indiana's offense right now, from an efficiency perspective is that it is not the shooting. That's the problem by and large, the shooting has been pretty good. The effective field goal percentage is 54.5, which is top, top 75 in the country uh, where they're struggling is they're turning the ball over too much and they aren't really pounding the offensive glass. And if they can get the turnover numbers down, you know, I mean, they're getting the free throw line and they're taking, you know, they're, they're making shots that they're taking. So if you can get at least one of those other four factors up into the positive side of the thing, you're going to be in pretty good shape coming down the stretch. I think this season. Yeah. And make a few more free throws. That's still a little bit of a, a little well, bit of a bugaboo. It's a little bit of a bugaboo, but I, look, I mean, at, at right now, coming through this game, they're at 65.7%. They're about where they were last year, uh, so they haven't like regressed too badly or anything like that. I, I think that will gradually round into shape as they get through uh, more of the, the preseason. We'll see. I do, too. Uh, Tony, any numbers jump out to you? Um, I mean, two turnovers in the second half, I believe, was was the numbers tonight. Um, I was, You know, it was kind of sloppy in that first half it was a little bit reminiscent of uh the uh, louisiana game and it was kind of like all right guys like let's clean this thing up and they did like they they took care of the ball i think it was i think it was a travel from trace and a travel from leal were the two turnovers that i can remember in the second half um and those are dead ball turnovers which are far superior to live ball turnovers anyway so um you know, it's not like a, a fancy like point per possession or, or total shot percentage or anything like that, uh, or true shooting percentage. Um, it's just downright two turnovers in the second half. Like that's that's a great number. Um, I don't care who you're playing. Like it, it's hard to take care of the ball like that. So um, the fact that they kind of had a bad half in the first half and then cleaned it up in the second half is is even more encouraging to me, um, especially when you're trying to play at the pace that they're playing at. Um, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, the last number I'll mention is just Jordan Geronimo's stat line. You know, he got called out a little bit by Mike Woodson in the postgame press conference. He was talking about the turnovers. It was kind of a funny line. He's talking about how the guards have too much. And then he's like, and Geronimo is just out there doing things with the ball that he shouldn't be doing, <laughs> which led to his five turnovers in the Louisiana game. And Jordan Geronimo came out tonight and responded. He played 18 minutes. He had six points, eight rebounds, and didn't turn the ball over. You know, really doing Jordan Geronimo things. Um, he was only two for eight from the free throw line. His shooting, Tony, is interesting to me because I think from a mechanics perspective, he's got good mechanics. He just doesn't have touch. No. You know, no and I think that's, yeah, that's why. Like everything looks good. The release, the body, everything looks good. But, it, you know, he's long. He's kind of all over the place. And his shots, I mean, when they hit the rim, they hit the rim hard, you know, as opposed to Parker Stewart, who has such beautiful spin on the ball and more touch. So there's so much that goes into being a good shooter. And I think that part of it is a little bit harder to teach, you know, so that may, you know, limit Geronimo's upside as a shooter. Um, But he's overall for his career been a pretty good outside shooter. But if he can start making more free throws, because he's going to get to the line with his activity and his hustle, if he can start making more of those, he'll be uh, an even more efficient player for Indiana. All right. Uh, coming up here on the assembly call as we move to our final segment, we are going to hand out our game balls, our Hoosier Hustle Award, and then uh, we'll talk about our lingering question coming out of this game and look ahead to Indiana's next opponent. That is all next here on the assembly call. Stick with us.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Hey, this is Deron Davis. And what's the only thing better than dominating a Duke big man in the post? It's celebrated with friends afterwards. Join Gerard, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Hall call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers! Thank you, Deron. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Catch us live following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. Make sure that you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 9,000 of your fellow IU fans have subscribed. You can join for free at join.assemblycall.com. We do a weekly IU basketball news roundup, and then we do our postgame analysis emails. Tony wrote the first four. I wrote the last one. Are you writing tonight's, Tony? Are you pulling double duty? We never uh, I'm happy to. to. I'm okay. happy to. <laughs> okay. All right. We t- we'll talk about it afterwards. But yeah, Tony's been doing a great job. So join.assemblycall.com. Uh, we go over you know the three big numbers, two observations, and a lingering question uh, in, in that email. It's all free. Uh, so get that by joining the email list. All right, guys. It is time for the game balls. Galen, why don't you go first uh, with your game ball for tonight's performance well hey i get to go first this is awesome it's great being on clavio corner I'll, i mean i'll throw it i'll, I'll, throw, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give this one to xavier johnson uh i mean leading yeah. the team in, in scoring and you know just putting together a very solid performance uh leading the team in rebounding well i guess not technically i guess geronimo did end up with eight but uh he was what you wanted to see out of him as we talked about at the top of the show and that is Again, the kind of patterning you want to get out of your point guard early on is he's learning his teammates, learning the offense, figuring out how everything's supposed to flow, and dealing with some defensive wrinkles that perhaps they weren't expecting. So easy choice for me, uh, Xavier Johnson, no problem. Tony? I haven't done the post game. I can't give the game ball to the same guy. Is that how this no, works? You can, yeah, no, you can give it to the same guy. Yeah. I mean, the, the obvious choice is Xavier Johnson. I don't I – don't, I don't think there's anybody that that's more deserving uh, of the game ball there. I mean, efficient, didn't turn it over, you know, everything Galen said, uh, high, high in rebounds. Um, yeah. I mean, if I had to go somebody else, it would be Geronimo um, just kind of with a bounce back, like, you know, giving it to a guy that that's only got six points kind of seems goofy, but I thought it was a nice bounce back performance, as you mentioned, but uh, if it's only one, it's, it's going to XJ. 
Yeah, the chat mob certainly agrees. I already said I thought Xavier Johnson was the best player on the floor, so he clearly gets my vote. I will toss in a second-place vote to Trace Jackson Davis. A lot of times it's easy to come on here and give him the game ball because his numbers are overwhelming. Tonight they're not, and yet, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, the defense, obviously, he was great. But I really think the tone that he sets in these games where he doesn't press, well, if you're Tamar Bates coming off the bench and you're not getting shots, you're not going to press if Trace Jackson Davis isn't pressing. You know, same thing with Christian Lander. And I think we've seen Trace press in the past. And when he when he's struggling to get into the flow, kind of struggling to get his numbers, he's, you know, withdrawn from games. Like, we've just seen that from him. And look, that's a freshman and a sophomore. You know, that's the evolution. And now he's a junior. He's clearly taken you know, the, a leadership responsibility on this team. And I think you see it on nights like tonight where he's not the focal point of the offense, but he still comes out and gives you, you know, a professional effort that leads to a really good win and spearheads the defense. So he would be my second place vote, but I agree with Xavier Johnson. So Xavier Johnson wins his first game ball of the season. Uh, and it is now time for our Hoosier Hustle Award. Sponsored by our friends at Evansville Security Services, based in the hometown of IU legend Calvert Chaney, and hopefully future legend Christian Lander, off to a good start this year, Evansville Security Services provides off-duty police officers to businesses and individuals throughout Indiana. Remember, prevention cannot be measured, so let Evansville Security Services help you prevent a bad outcome today. Go to EvansvilleSecurityServices.com to learn more. That's EvansvilleSecurityServices.com. Galen, your face lit up so much when we went to you first last time that we have to do it again. So <laughs> no, no, you no, get no, to no. lead us off so, for the... No, Chuck, let, let's let Tony do it. I don't I don't want to lead off both of these. He, he, give it, let's, let's share the love here. Seriously. Okay. All right. I was Tony. actually intrigued by who you're going to pick because I'm struggling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that is in no re- way the reason why I just want to do you, Tony. Not a bit. So. <laughs> um. Uh, you know, I I could I could go with Xavier Johnson again. I mean, your your point guard getting seven rebounds. Um, you could go with Trace Jackson Davis four blocks. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different avenues. I mean, when when you win a game so convincingly and, and play hard, everybody plays hard for forty minutes. It's it's really tough to like single out. You know you know, a, a stretch where like one guy kind of took things in into his own hands or something like that. So um, I think you go with any number of guys. I'll go with XJ again. Okay. Now, typically we don't give the Hoosier Hustle Award to the same person who got the game ball. That's typically how things go. But that is, but that is okay. He's, he's relatively deserving tonight. So that won't end up being the official one, but you can still submit your vote for him. I'll submit so. my, my vote for uh, Trace Jackson Davis. Okay. You're changing it. Okay. That's good. Trace, <laughs> that was. I just, I just wanted to make sure you remembered you couldn't give it to the same people. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we do these early season shows. We got to get these early right. season reps in, work in a lot of guys, some different, some different, uh, you know, lineups this is, here. This award is the the one four zone that we were not expecting. Time out. Time yeah, out. Get, let's let's re- reset. No, it's. I think I think TJD is the right choice here, largely again because of the defense and. Uh, because of of what he was able to do and affect the game without necessarily filling up the score sheet. Yeah, Trace gets my vote too. I would throw in uh, another vote for Miller Cop. I question his shot selection. I do not question the effort. Uh, and he has not missed a free throw yet this season. He is 11 for 11, according to the numbers that I am looking at. 
And anybody in this program who can make 11 straight free throws, well, you have our undying love because and, and I think that we've seen someone volumes. do that in a long time. <laughs> I think that speaks volumes, though, to him being square and like, yes, it, like just money when he's squared up. And then when he's moving all over the place, it's, it's a little different. Yes. And and he's got he has good touch like Miller Cop has really nice touch. Um, OK, so. The the next segment that we have, so I, I have one of these, but I also want to get one from the chat mob. So chat mob, if you guys have any lingering questions coming out of this game that you want us to address, put them in there. We'll look and we'll pick one. Here's a lingering question that I found myself thinking about a lot the last two games, which is what happens now with the guard rotation when Rob Finnessy comes back? You know, Rob Finnessy is your senior. He is obviously very, very good defensively. He's got a lot of experience. He can be very useful offensively as a catch-and-shoot guy, though. I think he's really struggled at times on the ball this year, um, kind of trying to figure out his role in this new, more wide-open offensive system. Um, and we don't want to go too crazy with what Christian Lander has done against a couple of lesser opponents, but we did see him be very poised against St. John's. You know, Galen, the way I kind of see this playing out is through December and January, whenever Rob comes back, I feel that there are, there are going to be some Rob Finnessy games and there are going to be some Christian Lander games. You know, some games where you really need a defensive presence, you know, coming off the bench that Rob provides. But when you need more of an offensive spark, you know, Christian's going to be able to give that to you. And it'll be really interesting as we get into February and March, if Christian's defense comes along enough that he's able to take some of those minutes. Um, because you're probably not going to be able to play both of those guys at the same time, but someone's going to have to be your first call when Xavier Johnson comes off the floor. So I think that's going to be, you know, Christian has taken this opportunity and run with it, and I think probably earned some trust. And so that, to me, is going to be really interesting to watch as we move through the season. I am highly skeptical of Rob Finnessy's offensive game right now, and that is holding me back from really thinking that he's going to be able to come back in and get minutes as we get deeper into Big Ten season. I could be wrong. You could see things uh, you know, reemerge from his game that we haven't seen in a couple of years. But um, you know, what he did through the, the three games that he played was uh, troubling to me just because of, of how off he looked, not just in shooting the ball, but in, again, you know, looking like he knew what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go with things as opposed to having to think through the processes. So I don't know. It, it's really interesting to me because I didn't expect Christian Lander to emerge in a way that he did here over the last couple of games. And yes, it's against lighter competition, but we saw him against lighter competition last year and it wasn't there like at all. Uh, so I do think that if Lander can play at this level against better competition, I think he will get minutes at the expense of Finnessy. But I think Finnessy has all of the tools and certainly has the experience in the Big Ten that you want to have him out there, but he's got to get his head right on offense. Otherwise, I mean, I you just cannot afford to play four on five against teams that are throwing five guys out there that can do things. Tony, I would actually like to see Rob in the Parker Stewart role more than I would like to see him in the Xavier Johnson role. Be a lower usage guy who finds your opportunities to make catch and shoot shots and then be an even better defender than Parker Stewart on the other end. So he's not as good of a shooter, but he's a better defender. That to me, see, like if Christian Lander emerges and this becomes real, I feel like you can then play Rob in that role a little bit more, which I think he would be better suited for. Yeah, I 1000% agree. Rob off the ball is 
is best case um, because a he's going to be guarding the other team's best player more likely than not or best wing or guard so he's exhausting a lot of energy on that end and b he's he's proven that he's a he's a pretty good spot up shooter it, it kind of eliminates all the decision making that he has to do with the ball so I 100% agree and think Rob is is better off the ball. And we even saw in that second unit when Trey Galloway was playing is a lot of times Trey Galloway was facilitating the offense um, with Rob out there. And so I think Coach Woodson's seeing that as well. Um, but in terms of Lander, like the kid's taking the opportunity, he seized it. I, I would be I would be really hard-pressed to, to pull a younger guy that has started to thrive for a guy that really hasn't proven himself in quite a few years. Um, and it's it would be tough as a coach to make that call. I, I get it that that Rob's a senior. He brings he brings some good aspects to the game. But if Lander continues to thrive, I, I would have a hard time kind of stifling that and be like, no, nah, we got to go back to what we were doing. And the caveats here, he's got to keep doing it against better competition. He's got to do it on the road. You know, we haven't seen him do it yet on the road. And so that that's what I mean. I really think through the next couple of months, there are going to be games that Rob is probably better suited for because his experience will help. But I, do, I definitely think it's something to watch in February and March because... I don't think anybody on the team, their development raises the ceiling of the team more than Landers. He's got that much talent. And so it's really something to watch. And what we've seen so far has been really encouraging. Um, okay. The other lingering question that I want to address, because we haven't talked a lot about this guy yet. Um, oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Ah, from Wesley. Will Michael Durr be able to play other Big Ten centers? Um, there was a sequence tonight that I really liked from Michael Durr. Um, he got, oh, he was on defense and he got, once again, got switched on to a guy on the wing and moved his feet really well. Just kept the guy in front of him, forced a tough shot on the next possession. His guy got it in the post. Once again, you know, he was able to move his feet really well. Uh, I think he either forced a pass out or a miss, you know, but the guy wasn't able to do anything. You know, Durr's limitations are clear. He's not moving real well. He can basically rebound if the ball comes right to him, but you know, he's not rebounding out of his area offensively. He seems a little more comfortable to me, actually, when he faces the basket and shoots than when he tries to do post moves. And actually, his historical numbers kind of bear that out. So I think, you know, he's going to he's going to be a, a work in progress, Tony, you know, especially offensively. But, yeah, I do think defensively he's going to be able to play. And I think we're going to need him. Um, you know, his, his ability to play eight to 12 minutes in Big Ten games against Michigan and against Purdue and against Illinois is going to be massive. At a minimum, because he gives you five big man fouls, <laughs> backing up Trace and Race. You know, at a maximum, because he can do a few things and he can make some passes out of the post that will allow Trace to get a break and rest. And we saw what happens last year when you don't have that. So, yeah, I've seen enough from him to think that he can be a real benefit in Big Ten play. He's not a star, but he's going to be able to come in and be the difference between a few wins or losses, I think. 100%. Um, you know, just to take out a small sample size, like you look at a game last year, South Florida plays Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a pretty solid team. Uh, Michael Durr goes for 14 and 10. I mean, he, he wasn't a slouch. He didn't play like, it, you know, for a Jackson state or something last year, you know, he played for South Florida in a good uh, AAC conference, um, you know, and, and played big minutes for, for that team. So I, I a hundred percent think he can play against big 10 bigs. He's got the body, um, I think it's exactly why he was brought in was because Mike Woodson believed he could play Big Ten bigs and, and they would need that body. And it's it was kind of the the entire 
theory behind why we thought we might not see him till December or so nursing that injury because every, the staff was even saying, look, we're going to need him in Big Ten play. So we're going to be really careful about getting him back from this injury. So, um, yeah, to, to echo what you said, Jared, I, I do think that um, he'll, he'll be a, a very, very solid backup big man in the Big Ten. Galen, what are your expectations? I don't know, because I'm really surprised at how bad he's been on offense so far through these first five games. Like, he was not a bad offensive player at South Florida. I mean, last year, uh, you know, his his offensive efficiency was above, uh, uh, you know, one point per possession. He was rebounding the ball really well on both ends of the floor. Uh, you know, he and it wasn't like he was taking a limited amount of shots. Uh, you know, he'd get in the free throw line a bunch, and he has been – an absolute zero on the offensive end so far through five games. Now I, I'm curious what's causing that. If it, if it's an injury related thing that he's still trying to work his way out of, if it's rust, yeah. uh, you know, something along those lines. Now, if he can get that worked out, that adds a dimension that Indiana, I think desperately needs against those bigger teams defensively. Yes, absolutely. He, he gives the fouls. I, I think he will be able to at least get himself in a decent enough position. And the way that Indiana is playing defense, elsewhere within the team dynamic you know it's not like they're just going to stick him out there on an island and hope that he's able to take care of business against the bigger players but um you know i think if he can get his offensive game rounded into shape that's a nice it's a nice second unit center and that's frankly what was the last time indiana had that like i can't even i i really can't recall when they could just bring a seven footer in off the bench who could give them like 14 solid minutes a game um that that would be a nice novelty to have, I think, for the upcoming Big Ten season. I've got photos of him in a sombrero. I did shake Tijan's hand at a at an ATM here in town once. That was Tijan. Sorry, I got the wrong clip first, but that was maybe the last guy. <laughs> I, got, I got I got so confused there. Wow. <laughs> I was I was a little confused, but I thought maybe it was an inside. I mean, you hear Chronic's <laughs> voice. What else are you going to assume? But that we're, right. that we're talking about T. Awamunaru demands a recount. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think you do if you compare it to what Indiana would have had. So if Joey Brunk stays, there's no Michael Durr. And when you kind of compare and contrast the two of who fits into Woodson's style, I think the majority of us would, would probably go with that Michael Durr vote. And and quite frankly, uh, Durr is he's about three weeks into getting back playing basketball since the summer. So really, he almost had a six month hiatus away from from uh, practicing and playing. So definitely still getting his sea legs, his conditioning, um, and learning the system essentially too. So I, I think that certainly factors in. But I, I would agree with Galen. It is a I didn't expect as big of a, a learning curve or, or if you will for for his offensive side of the game but I do think it, it ends up coming back a little bit too yeah there's plenty of reason to give him benefit of the doubt in time because of the injury and because of his track record he's been a useful offensive player but I, and I think we've already seen enough defensively to know he'll be useful and the offense you know will just obviously make his impact even more Okay, so coming up, we obviously do not have a show uh, on Thanksgiving. Uh, our normal assembly call radio is off this week for Thanksgiving, but we will be back on Saturday for the Marshall game. And ladies and gentlemen, buckle up for the Marshall Thundering Herd. They are coached by Dan D'Antoni, 
They are currently playing at the second fastest tempo in the country, uh, 76 possessions per game. Indiana playing at one of their fastest tempos in a long, long time. That is going to be an up and down game that Xavier Johnson is going to really enjoy, I feel like. Do you guys have any insight on Marshall? I don't know much about them other than, well, other than their pace. And I will say it's interesting. You know, there's some common opponents here. They beat Louisiana 93-79. They beat Jackson State 80-66. to So, you know, they're currently ranked 113 in Ken Palm. They're the second best team by far Indiana will have played. And a really good tune-up for Syracuse. Fortunately for Indiana, they borrowed Indiana's three-point shooting from last year. <laughs> yeah, so they're bad. This year. They're, shooting, <laughs> they're shooting 24%. Whoa. Yeah, they are. The arc. Uh, and, uh, and they are allowing almost 40% for their opponents from three so far this season. Now, they do shoot very well inside. Uh, they don't turn the ball over that much, which is impressive given the tempo with which they play. Um, you know, so look, I, I think this is – it's an interesting team in as much as – they thrive really on, you know, almost a an anti-efficiency sort of approach sometimes when it comes to their offense. They've got a couple of guys. Darius George is is probably, you know, you know, probably their most impressive player on the inside. He's he's hit among the most shots for them this year, um, you know, and, and he's he's one of the more efficient offensive players in the nation right now. Uh, beyond that, it's it's an interesting mix of guys. They're not overly uh, – they're kind of in the – they remind me a lot of Indiana from a size perspective. Like they, they have a bunch of guys that run between about 6'3 and 6'9. And so I think it'll be a fun matchup. It's going to be an interesting game. Certainly, I think they are a notch or two below Indiana. You, know, you, you mentioned they did beat Louisiana, which is an interesting comp, and Jackson State. They also lost to Campbell – at home. Anytime you lose to a team whose mascot is a camel, you've probably done something horribly wrong. So I, I'm 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 very fascinated by this game as a as a Thanksgiving holiday game. These are always funky games. Uh, this is a little bit of a trap game. It's a nice lead in to Indiana for the Syracuse game. Yeah, well, just enjoy it before things grind to a halt at the Carrier Dome playing against that zone. So going to be quite a contrast in styles, these two games. Tony, anything that you're looking to see how Indiana approaches a game like this where it's clearly going to be fast tempo up and down? Yeah, it, it, I think it'll be fun, uh, you know, to to watch. I think it'll be an exciting style of play. Um, the the Tavion Kinsey kid from Marshall intrigues me um, from a matchup perspective. A big, long guard, long skinny guard. He's six five. Uh, I think he's averaging around twenty points a game right now. Um, distributes the ball very well. Um, around five assists a game, I believe. So um, that that matchup intrigues me a little bit because um, you know Indiana from a wing perspective. Um, is is probably a little lighter on defense, at least historically. Parker, Stewart, and Miller Cop, um, you know, are, are offensive guys. Now, I think Parker has played very well on defense this year, but it's an intriguing matchup. Um, from that standpoint, um, just see what what Mike Woodson tries to do against that matchup. But I think Indiana. I think what's been great to see is they've come out with great game plans. Um, for for all of their um their games so far like you can tell that there's some some great scouting going into these opponents and they're coming out with great game plans um and they're taking them out of the action that they want to run um i've kind of i've seen the the one pager that they hand out to their guys of like here's the actions the other team wants to run and we want to take away um i saw that for the louisiana game i believe and it's it's good stuff because it's just like easily digestible for the players they know what's coming um and they kind of 
can start that from the the jump of you know they can start focusing in on that tomorrow at practice uh, for Saturday's game. So um, I'm excited. I think it'll be a fun style of play to watch. All right. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Remember to check out our friends at Home Field Apparel. Use, actually, you don't need a promo code. If you go there, Black Friday through Cyber Monday, just get 20% off everything. Load up because they have all kinds of good stuff. Uh, that is homefieldapparel.com. All right, guys, it is time for last call. Let's go around the horn for some closing statements on this Indiana victory. Tony, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, I think Indiana did everything it needed to do tonight. Um, was was a great effort for 40 minutes. Um, did a, a lot of different actions um, that I like to see on both the defensive and offensive side of the ball. Um, and overall, like I said, these games are tough. They can be kind of trap games. It's hard to get your energy up. You know, Assembly Hall, I think, was like 10,000 deep tonight. So just kind of a I don't want to say dead atmosphere, but they're games that are hard to get up for. And, and Indiana got up for it. And so uh, hats off to those guys. And I thought that they played a full 40 minutes of, of tough, hard basketball. And ultimately, uh, another, another what, sub-20 first half, uh, almost sub-20 field goal percentage for the game. So not a lot to be mad at there. Galen? In the entire – Archie Miller era on BartTorvik.com, a website I highly recommend. Indiana had one game that landed a perfect score of 100 in the game score category. It was 2019 against Montana State. Mm, so far, through five games of the Mike Woodson era, Indiana has two 100 perfect games, uh, last game and this game. So that really means nothing in the big scheme of things, but I think – it highlights something, which is that Indiana is playing about to maximum potential against bad opponents, and that's important. Margin of victory matters. You know, making your opponent capitulate matters and creating an environment where you don't just expect to win, but you expect to play a game that overwhelms opponents that can't handle it. That's part of the mentality that you have to build if you're going to have a team that can win in February and March. And so... You know, we, we've talked about a lot of little individual elements, but I think when you look at these games holistically and you kind of back the telescope out a little bit, I am excited at the fact that they are overwhelming some of these opponents as they come in to play them here in Assembly Hall. Absolutely. You know, I always post in our community, you know, hey, what are you looking for for this game? Like, what's the number one thing you're looking for? Um, and so I posted that for this one. And, you know, one of our most loyal community members, Phil, one of the best IU fans out there, his reply was, you know, not to be well, – and for this question, I actually posed it, okay, outside of winning and staying healthy, what is the number one thing you're looking for in the Jackson State game? And Phil's reply was, well, not to be flippant, but aren't those really the only two things that we're looking for in a game like this? And my reply was, well, fair enough. That is probably 98% of what we want to get out of a game like this. But, you know, I think what you're looking for in games like this are habits. What kinds of habits are you building? You know, to me, you know, did did Indiana come out again and play suff suffocating defense from the tip? Because that's been a habit that they've developed. Do they continue it? Did the turnovers from last game continuing to continue into this game? Because if they did, it's a habit. If not, they can stop it. And maybe that last game is the anomaly. Well, they stopped it. You know, do, does Xavier Johnson come out, put a bad game behind him and play well to not make, you know, the the bad play, the turnovers a habit? He didn't. He came out and played well tonight. And so I think that 
is what has been imp- impressive to me to see in these games is that for the most part, Indiana has displayed really good habits. The other habit that we've seen that hasn't been great is Indiana hasn't really come out of second halves and played well. And tonight they were dynamite. I think 15 to two to start the second half, you know, which is now okay, a habit that they're reversing. That's what you want to see in these games. You know, and Galen, to your point, that's why, you know, margin of victory and just how you put away opponents, you build good winning habits in these games. And for the most part, I think Indiana has done that. And that's been the most impressive thing to me. And boy, you know, you start looking around the Big Ten landscape, and I think a combination of Indiana really being about as impressive as they could be, you know, through the five opponents that they've played, and some other teams not really being that impressive. If you were to just throw all 14 Big Ten teams into a tournament right now in Indianapolis outside of Purdue and maybe Michigan State. Who are you more confident in than Indiana out of all the teams in the Big Ten right now? You know, that's, I think, what Indiana has has done and kind of given fans a chance to to feel confident. Now, it's got to translate from November into December. And I think it's it's really important now in this day and age of college basketball to probably not judge teams too much in November outside of Iowa, who you can just totally dismiss anything that they do in November if it's good. Um, But with so much roster turnover, it's going to take teams a while to kind of coalesce. And so you want to be patient. But I'm not sure you could ask for a lot more than what you've seen out of Indiana with a lot of new players and a new coach, uh, you know, through their first five games. And tonight, you know, they really put a lot of it together uh, defensively and bounce back from a poor offensive start to play much better offensively after that. And now we up the, you know, up the ante, go, you know, up the competition a little bit. Marshall will be a big test. And obviously at Syracuse will be a huge game. These are two really important games for Indiana from a future NCAA tournament uh, perspective uh, that certainly you don't want to lose the Marshall game. And, and hopefully the Syracuse game, if you can get it, turns into a nice victory. So excellent start for Indiana. Uh, a lot of good things uh, to see tonight. And like everybody, just really having fun watching this team. And instead of kind of dreading <laughs> to watch them play and do these shows, I can't wait for the next game to watch. And that is a, that's a really nice place to be. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. And don't forget to go to join.assemblycall.com to join our free email newsletter. Special thank you to Bob Thompson for the music that you hear on the show. Special thanks to John Ringer of Riggs Design for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Saturday night after IU Marshall. Until then. Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. I like everything about that. All right. Nice show, gentlemen. That was fun. Yeah. It was. Fun game to do. Shows after after games like that can sometimes be kind of boring, but I, there was actually a lot to kind of sink our teeth into for that one. So that was good. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, it was... It was good to dive into the game individually, but then kind of some of the trends we've seen from like a, a holistic point of view. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Absolutely. Someone called us out for slacking for not having a show on Thanksgiving. I, th- we, I think there was a season, I think, where we did a show on Thanksgiving. Uh, but no, we're going <laughs> to. Was it before you had kids? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, we did a lot of things before you had kids. <laughs> Makes sense. Although actually, it might have been when I had one kid. Really, things change when we had two kids. Because when you have one kid, one parent can kind of handle things. 
you know, and then the other one is kind of free. But like tonight, I had to have my parents come over to put my daughter to bed and kind of handle some of that stuff. So really... yeah, try, try, try doing a Thanksgiving show with two kids. That's a great way to have zero wives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. So no, no content from the Back Home Network on Thanksgiving. We, uh, Otherwise, there's no home to go back to. <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> yeah. Or we're all just going to be going back home to Bloomington and, you know, getting a getting a house together and... <laughs> <laughs> that will not be this house by the way no. I, I get that right out there uh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome alright all right, guys good times thank you Jared as always and uh, thanks up? to all the folks down uh, down in the, the chat land there for uh, your, your comments throughout you guys gonna hop on another call and maybe have round three of talking IU uh, basketball we might today? we could maybe can tweak Tony, one more in here before midnight <laughs> Tony and I are going to do a live review of <laughs> Forrest Gump, actually, starting at eleven o'clock. Uh, it's going to be delightful. We'll go until one thirty. Yeah. I was thinking a double feature with Titanic, perhaps. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Let's throw Gandhi in there too. Yes. While we're at it. We'll just do it in the morning. Let's do it. I actually, yeah, I gotta. You'll, you guys will like this. I was, my whole plan today was I was I was going to smoke some beef ribs on the egg. Uh, I bought the ribs, had them all seasoned, everything ready to go. I go out at 7.30 this morning, and the green egg is frozen solid, will not oh. open because it was 21 degrees here. And uh, I could not get it unfrozen until noon, by which time it was too late to do uh, the ribs. So the ribs are coming tomorrow. I got some switchyard pizza tonight. It was a nice, uh, nice compromise. Yeah, it's a nice little consolation prize. That's not bad. Yeah. So anyway, we could do all those podcasts while I'm smoking the ribs, Tony. You just let me know, okay? <laughs> I'll keep you posted. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, gents. See you, gentlemen. Catch Have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a great one. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye. See you all inside the community. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.